0: We have, for a couple of weeks, been doing this Name This Tune series, and the idea of this series is that in the New Testament, there are constantly quotes of Old Testament passages, and especially psalms and various songs of the Old Testament, and when we can identify those and go back and read those songs in full… Sometimes it provides a different kind of context for us or a new insight for us. And so we're going to continue that same idea this morning in John chapter 13, starting in verse 12, and we'll read 12 through 30. John chapter 13, starting in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread... Has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas was in charge of money, some thought Jesus was telling him to go buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When sheep are taken off to be killed… They know instinctively that the slaughterhouse is a bad place to be. Uh, Something about it they can sense. The the smell or, or something about its presence, it just warns them of danger. And when they arrive at the slaughterhouse, they'll often plant their feet and refuse to enter. They resist with all that they can. The slaughterhouse operators have discovered a way of getting past that problem. They keep a sheep on the premise, and that sheep is used to the place and Doesn't mind it anymore, isn't fearful of it anymore. And they place that sheep in front of the others who have just arrived and let it walk around the slaughterhouse to show that it isn't a scary place after all. And the other sheep, seeing one of their own leading the way, will follow it. The slaughterhouse workers call this sheep the Judas sheep, the one that betrays the other sheep. If you have a history in in the church or if you know your Bible, well, that name Judas probably evokes certain feelings for you. We know that name, Judas. Maybe anger or hurt or or disgust. It was Judas who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Judas who sold Jesus' safety for 30 pieces of silver. When Carmen and I years ago were picking out baby names, Judas was tied with Lucifer for like dead last on our list. We, we know the associations with that name. We probably don't have warm feelings toward Judas. We wouldn't be eager to become his friend, or, or we wouldn't invite him into our home. We probably wouldn't want to share a meal with him, or, or eagerly introduce him to people we know at a social event. And, and the reason for that is because we know about Judas. Judas betrayed Jesus, and we focus on his betrayal. In fact, We ourselves may feel betrayed by Him. It's our Savior, after all, who He sold for silver. We may even have a temptation to allow Judas to become a kind of scapegoat for us. We surely haven't ever sinned like Judas sinned. And if we haven't sinned like Judas sinned, we're not as bad as Judas. And as long as we know someone whose sin is worse than ours, we can feel pretty good about ourselves. We don't have to think about inconvenient things like sin in our own lives because we're not sinners like Judas is a sinner. We would never do the things that that Judas did. so Judas becomes for us a kind of embodiment of evil, the ultimate evil. And if Judas is evil and we are not Judas, we must be doing okay. At least we're not Judas. I mean, that's kind of how we think about him, isn't it? The, the ultimate evil, the ultimate bad guy. It, it, it's hardly a name in all of Scripture that we feel quite as much distaste for as the name of Judas. But as distasteful as his name may be, Jesus, it seems, feels differently about him. It doesn't feel the same. We focus on the betrayal. Jesus seemed to focus more on the person. And we see that clearly in our passage today, because just before Jesus shares that Judas will betray him, Jesus washes his feet. Jesus serves him. Jesus takes on the role of servant and places himself at the feet of Judas, knowing that Judas will betray him. Later, he'll break off a piece of bread and, and dip it and hand it to Judas. And, and although this is a secret sign given to the beloved disciple, it's also a symbol of intimate friendship. Jesus is sharing a meal with him. Jesus is loving him. We think of Judas as the embodiment of evil, but Jesus saw Judas as a child of God, even when he knew he was about to betray him. Judas may be a name with bad associations, but there are other names in your life that you have bad associations with. That person who hurt you or the person who rejected you, the person who was unkind to you, the person who, who lied to you or told lies about you, the person who made other people think less of you, you know their names. I know their names. I know the names of the people who have hurt me. Those names, they're not easy to forget. Of course I remember those names. But on the day they were going to hurt me, if I had known in advance what they were about to do, Could I have washed their feet? Could I have shared a meal with them? Could I have reclined in a chair casually with them? Could I have exchanged dinner conversation with them? Could I have loved them as Jesus loved them? You see, the question this makes me ask is, is whose feet am I willing to wash? With whom am I willing to share a meal? Who do we invite to our tables, and, and who do we refuse to welcome? As Christians, we often remind one another that that Jesus doesn't offer salvation based on merit. Like, we don't do anything to earn it. We don't do anything to deserve it. He loves us not because we've made ourselves worthy of His love, but because we're His and He's ours. And I don't know about you, but for me, this takes it to a whole different level because I know that I don't like to think of myself as Judas, but I know that I've also said, I love you, Lord, and then acted in unloving ways toward the people who he loves. As a parent, I, I can tell you I have immeasurably more grace and tolerance for someone who hurts me than I do for someone who hurts one of my kids. How can I say I love God when acting in ways that hurt his children? Would I wash the feet of the person who hurt my child would I set the table for them and, and dine with them the way Jesus sets the table for us? There's love, and it's, it's love that we can all practice that transcends transgression. Jesus' love for Judas was the same whether Judas betrayed him or not. He washed his feet the same way he washed the feet of the other disciples. That is love that transcends transgression and it's difficult love, and it's costly love. I'll be entirely honest with you, and, and if you place pastors on a pedestal, this might be hard to hear, but I don't know that I've ever preached a message or prepared a message that was more difficult to preach. And it's difficult because I do know the names of the people who have hurt me, and I don't know if I'm ready to share a meal with them yet. Somehow, to me, washing their feet seems easier than sitting across and making conversation, and sharing a meal, and loving them through it. When Jesus washed His disciples' feet, He said that it was an example to be followed, and I have to imagine that that when He shared the meal, He was setting a similar example. How do you do that? How do you love with a love that transcends transgression? Some of you, I have to imagine, Wonder that same thing about people in your own lives, the people who you can name who have hurt you. How do we truly love them as Jesus loves them? What degree of vulnerability is appropriate? What do healthy boundaries look like? How do we check ourselves to know the difference between a healthy boundary and a spiteful barrier? At what point is a boundary too little or too much? How do we navigate those things with the people who have hurt us? And then difficult questions, even more difficult questions, is reconciliation possible in our own hearts? And if so, will we pursue it when the opportunity arises? See, reconciliation, it has to be accompanied by healing and by healthy boundaries and by confessing truth and repentance from both parties when both parties have done wrong. And it isn't always a straightforward endeavor. It takes time and persistence and commitment and a desire from both parties And there's not a secret formula to it. An ongoing relationship with a person who has caused us harm and unrepentant is unhealthy, but it's also unhealthy to close another person off entirely from the possibility of repentance. So, how do we navigate that tension? How do we live like reconciliation is possible? How do we love people who are most difficult to love? Lord, help us, what does does following you look like when it comes to the people who have caused us harm? I'm not going to try and answer that for you today because I don't know the situation of your hurt. But I can tell you the prayer I pray, and maybe it's a prayer that you can pray too, Lord, make my heart ready to love as you love. Make me an instrument of your love. Make my heart ready to reconcile as you have reconciled me to you. And I confess to you my shortcomings and my fears and my pain, my need for healing, and I trust in you to bring that healing and that wisdom and that direction. We know Judas' name, and we know the names of the people in our lives who have hurt us and who have betrayed us. There's another character in this passage, though, a character whose name that we don't know, who for, for the 2,000 years of the church has been subject to speculation regarding just who it might be. We don't know the name of the beloved disciple. Some say it's John writing himself into the story, placing himself in the narrative in this special way. Others have said it's Lazarus or, or one of the women who followed Jesus, Mary Magdalene, maybe. And, and my favorite theory… Is that the beloved disciple is one of the places where we are invited to read ourselves into the story. The character that we are invited to place ourselves in their shoes. You are the beloved disciple. Those are places where we read ourselves directly into the story. The beloved disciple was there when when Peter denied Jesus three times, he got to witness the pain. They were there when Jesus was crucified. They experienced that agony. The beloved disciple was there to discover the empty tomb. Can you find yourself there in the story, the good news of the empty tomb? The beloved disciple was one who recognized the risen Christ. And it's beautiful in this passage because the beloved disciple is the one who's given a glimpse behind the curtain to see what the love of Christ looks like, an inside look that the other disciples aren't able to see. "'Very truly I tell you,' Jesus said, "'one of you is going to betray me.'" And the beloved disciple was reclining next to Jesus and said in private conversation, "'Lord, who is it? "'Who's going to betray you?' And Jesus maybe whispering, but, but definitely in, in private, he says, "'It's the one whom I will give this piece of bread "'when I've dipped it in the dish.'" And then dipping the bread, he gave it to Judas. The beloved disciple was the only one given the opportunity to see what the rest of them could not see. She or he was the only disciple who knew that Jesus was serving the one who he already knew would betray him, loving the one who would betray him. The the beloved disciple got to see that Jesus did not hold Judas at a distance or give him the stale end of the bread or Treat him in a way that we might think he deserves to be treated. The beloved disciple got to see Jesus loving Judas, even though he knew what Judas was about to do. The beloved disciple was given the special privilege of seeing what unconditional love looks like. Lord, the beloved disciple asked, Who is it? And Jesus replied, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Those words of Jesus are where we are able to name this week's tune. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 41, and we're going to read together the first nine verses this morning. Psalm 41, verses 1 through 9, it says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. The Lord protects them and preserves them. They are counted among the blessed in the land. He does not give them over to the desires of their foes, The Lord sustains them on their sickbed and restores them for their bed of illness. I said, have mercy on me, Lord. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, when will he die and his name perish? When one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander, then goes out and spreads it around. My enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst of me, saying, a vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone whom I trusted, one who has shared my bread, has turned against me. The one who will betray me, Jesus says, is the one to whom I give this bread. And the psalm says, even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. In the psalm, David feels betrayed, and he's working through his betrayal But when he quotes the psalm, Jesus gives it a different kind of feeling. The one who would betray him did not merely eat the bread, but when he quotes the psalm, Jesus recognizes that that Jesus served the bread himself. Judas did not greedily hoard the bread or take the bread. Jesus offered him the bread. Jesus gave it to him knowingly. Jesus loved him despite the upcoming betrayal. David felt the hurt of that betrayal. Jesus, though I'm sure he felt that hurt, continued to feel that love, to to offer that love. But what really leaves an impression on me in this passage is the first verse, blessed are those who have regard for the weak. I especially like the way the, the common English Bible, the CEB, translates it. Those who pay close attention to the poor are truly happy. David thought of himself as the poor, the weak, the one in need of blessed attention. But Jesus, soon on his way to betrayal and death, saw Judas as the one who was poor and weak. Judas as the one who was in need of empathy. Judas hurt not only Jesus, but most of all, Judas hurt himself. And Jesus, whispering to the beloved disciple, quotes the psalm and says, I am serving someone who in their weakness will betray me. Not because they are evil, and not, not like, here's the secret sign so that you know who to condemn later. Jesus has empathy, as the psalm teaches, for the weakness and spiritual poverty of Judas. Judas doesn't hurt him because he's evil. Judas hurts him because he's broken and in need of healing. That's where we find an invitation for this to become the psalm of our lives. The song of our lives because it's so very difficult at times to forgive those people who have hurt us but jesus rather than giving himself over to anger or rage or resentment or hatred he recognizes the pain that judas is in the poor condition of his soul the the weak condition of his heart and he feels compassion toward him he feels empathy judas could have been jesus's enemy but jesus refused to see him that way Judas' betrayal was a terribly hurtful act to which Jesus responded with the same love as always. Some of our injuries are easy to forgive, and others are deeply personal. They cut deeper, they hurt more. The injury that led to Jesus' crucifixion had to have felt deeply personal, and yet he had nothing for Judas but love. I don't know about you, but, but I have a feeling I'm going to have to sing the words of that song quite a long time before I feel like I really know it. But I want to know it. I want to know it. I, I want to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and love like I believe that that's true. But do you know how we learn the words of a song? We learn it by singing it. We learn it by practicing it. We learn the words of a song by practicing that song. And so until those words are second nature, we can practice love anyway. We can lean into the forgiveness that we're praying becomes our reality. Until we learn to to love the people, to forgive the people who hurt us as Jesus forgave the people who hurt Him, we can practice loving the people who hurt us like Jesus loves the people who hurt Him. I hope that you are able to hear me well today. I'm not saying that it's acceptable to go around with unforgiveness toward one another, that that that's an okay state for us to be in and we should just reside there comfortably, but I do acknowledge that forgiving someone isn't as easy as desiring to forgive someone. It's not always automatic because forgiveness is accompanied by healing and healing is a process. I'm not saying it's appropriate to withhold love from others. I do acknowledge that sometimes love is difficult and even dangerous and it can be difficult and dangerous to express love to those who have harmed us. But even as we wrestle with these things, even as we pray that God would heal our hurt and teach us to truly forgive and truly love, we can practice that love and forgiveness. We can lean into it. While we're still learning the lyrics of the song, we can at least hum the tune trusting that one day we'll know the words of a song of forgiveness that Jesus is teaching us. While we're still healing, we can still love, even as we learn to fully forgive. Will you join me in prayer this morning? Lord, we know those names of the people who have hurt us. we know their names. And we know the pain that we feel when we think of those names. Father, we pray that you would you would teach us to love and to forgive as you love and forgive. You who washed Judas' feet, served him bread, loved in a way that is difficult to emulate, and yet in a way that you call your followers to emulate. As we pray, Lord, that where there is unforgiveness in our hearts, you would release it from us, release us from it, and replace it with love, and replace it with forgiveness. Father, heal hurts, we pray, Make our hearts compassionate, empathetic, and merciful toward others as you are compassionate, empathetic, and merciful toward us. Teach us to love as you love. Forgive us, Lord, of those places where there is unforgiveness in our hearts. Replace it, Lord with Christ's likeness. Because our desire is to love like you and forgive like you and be transformed and remade according to your image.